0: In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, this year is kind of zipping for me. I mean, it's happening really quick, and uh, it hit me that next week we're starting into Lent, uh, Ash Wednesday, all these things. It's happening quick. It's coming at me quick. I don't know about you, but... Uh, We are turning a page in the church calendar. Uh, Things are going on. and That really is kind of echoed in our reading in the sense that the page is turning in Jesus' life and ministry. This is the, the historical account of the transfiguration, the eyewitness account, Peter, James, and John, when Jesus goes up on the mountain and everything turns. It's almost as if they go up the mountain and the curtain is pulled back. And uh, some huge questions are answered. What questions? Well, all during his uh, work up until this point, he's been with his own people in his own hometown. They say, who is this? I mean, where did he get this knowledge? I think we knew him, but the person in front of us right now something is happening, something, something really big is happening. The, um, the people come to him, and the, the religious leaders see his miracles, they see what he's doing, and, and they say that, that uh, this man claims to forgive sins. I mean, who is this that makes that kind of claim? I mean, only God can forgive sins. What are we talking about here? And then his own followers to them, Jesus asks the question, the penetrating question. I know what other people are saying about me. Who do you say that I am? Who am I, really? And they say, well, they, they say that basically you're in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's a lot of wise people. You're in there somewhere. Some say you're like the prophets. You're Moses. You're Elijah. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Now that you've spent time with me, you see me, you see who I am, you see what I'm here to do. And they say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The transfiguration tells this about Jesus in three ways. It tells us who he is, what he came to do, and then how we can step into his life, how we can belong to him. Okay, so who he is, what he came to do, and how... We can step into that life of belonging to Him. So first, who is He? You have the scene in the mountain. You have the cloud coming down. You have lightning. You have fire. You have the voice of God thundering. You ha- you hear um, the. Glory of God! You see the glory of God coming down on the mountain, and if you know your Bible like Peter, James, and John knew theirs, because they'd been raised on this from their mother's knee. This is what this is how they were educated. This is what they knew. That that sounds a lot like something that happened in the pivotal moment of Israel's history as a nation. They became a nation because of the Exodus, right? The coming out of Egypt, the freeing of the slaves, and the gathering at the mountain to get. God comes down and meets with Moses, the representative of the people. He hands out his, his, down His law, His commands that they're to be His people and to, they to live a certain way. This looks a lot like this. This is like the Exodus has come forward now. And now it's Jesus. It's, a, it's happening around Jesus, but there's some amazing differences in what's happening this second time. What do I mean? Well, you remember when Moses got up to to receive the law, when he comes back down, what do the people notice about him? Do you remember? His face was shining. He had been up there in the presence of this glory of God, this blinding, amazing, intense light, and his face shone, but it was reflected, reflected light. See, Moses was, in a sense, sort of like the moon, the moon up above, we see, it, we see it shining, but the moon only shines because it's right in the way of the sun and the earth in between, and it reflects the sunlight, doesn't it? The moon of itself can't produce light. It can only reflect the light off of it. And Moses is like that way. He comes down, his face is shining with the glory of God, but it's partial, and it fades over time. But what we, do we have here? Jesus goes up into the mountain. A very similar thing. The glory of God comes down. The voice is about to to sound. Jesus, it says, his face shone like the sun, and light came from him. Do you see the difference? This isn't partial. This isn't being standing in the way of God's light and reflecting it in some way to others. No, no, no. Jesus himself is the source of light. The light comes from him. And it's not partial. And it's not going to be over with. So that's one answer to the question who Jesus is. He's no less than God in human form come to us. The source of light himself. He is the final, full, perfect, exact representation of God in a way that we can know. So you can say a lot of things about Jesus. You can say a lot of things about him even in the year 2020. But one thing that you cannot honestly say about him, you can say it dishonestly, you can't say that he's just one among many. Great teacher, maybe great prophet. Yeah, he's one of the great line of uh, prophets that have come. No, 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 you can't say that honestly. Not by what he claimed, not by what he did, not by the eyewitnesses, not by the account of Scripture. You see, it's really quite the opposite. Jesus is not one of many in a long line of prophets and wise people pointing to God. No, no, no. Jesus Christ is himself, God, come to us. And the long line of prophets and wise people point to him. It's totally different. Now you and I have grown up in a world that is opposed to this understanding of Jesus. We've come from the enlightenment, from a time of technological achievements. We've come from a time where people have grown to say that Human beings in themselves have all the meaning that there is to have. And because of our industrial achievements, our leaps forwards in technology, we now are the masters of our own fate. And you know, the spirit of that age was so intoxicating that many of church leaders before you and I were born, they basically had a reckoning. They got together, and they were ashamed in the public square. And you know what they were ashamed of? They said, well, if we're going to adopt the spirit of this age, if we're going to go along with this, and if we're going to gain respect and admiration from the world, we're going to have to have a new Christianity for modern times that gets rid of all this supernatural stuff. And they were very effective in doing that. And mainline denominations fell under that sway for decades and decades. That's what I grew up in. But there's a big problem, folks. The mainline Christian denominations had basically watered Jesus and his message down simply to he's, he's just one more among many. And he's basically a life coach now. He's basically a therapist. Yeah, Jesus is, Jesus is how I live. Jesus gets me through life. Jesus is my therapist. He's the one who loves me unconditionally and the one who lets me do whatever it is I do because I am the sum of everything. And I've got to express that. No wonder the mainline denominations are having such trouble. No wonder they're crumbling. While other streams of Christianity that hold on to the supernatural power of who Jesus is and what he came to do, who holds on to historic Christianity. They have not fallen apart. They struggle, sure, but they haven't fallen apart. And so we don't get, for instance, a presiding bishop who goes to preside over a wedding of Harry and Meghan and basically telling them, all you need is love. What a joke. Sorry, what a joke. That's not Christianity. It's semi something. Moralistic, therapeutic something. It's not Christianity. I want you to see this morning how different And how powerful Jesus actually is in himself. Someone said it this way, he was the meekest and lowliest of all of us, yet he spoke of coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so steel tough that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming, but he was so genial and winsome and approachable that children loved to play with him and little ones nestled in his arms. His presence at the innocent joy of a village wedding was like the presence of sunshine. (laughs) But he spoke red hot scorching words about our condition, our fallenness as human beings. A bruised reed he wouldn't break, his whole life was love, but on one occasion he demanded of the Pharisees how they ever expected to to escape the damnation of hell. He was a servant of all. He washed the disciples' feet, yet masterfully he strode into the temple, and the hucksters and money changers fell over one another to get away from the mad rush and fire they saw blazing in his eyes. This is who we see at the transfiguration. And so what did he come to do if this is who we are dealing with? If he is God himself nonetheless, no less than God himself, come to us what did he come to do well you can see the clues in Peter James and John's reaction to all this what would you do if the glory cloud came down if if somehow the presence of God the earthquake and the fire were coming on you well I'll tell you two words that would come out of my mouth and it seemed that's what Peter was saying you know what it would be take cover take cover Peter does that. He basically does not know what to do. He is terrified and so he says, let's put up tents. Um, I'll, well, let's put up one for you, one for you, one for you. This is great. Uh, I'm glad we're here, uh, but let's put up tents because what do you do with the presence of God? What did the people do when the presence of God followed them in the desert? They had to put up a tent, a great tent of meeting because they couldn't come into the full bore presence of God because they fall apart. The glory was too great and so they had to have a a separation between them. And what that separation in their worship pointed to was this great chasm between us and the living God. What is that great chasm? We can tell you easily in our service the commandments are summed up. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what are you to do? Love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, I have done neither of those. I've done neither of those. In fact, I've gone out of my way often to not love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And I haven't done a very, well, it was just a, what a joke for me to say anything like this. I mean, I, I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. And even the times when I've pretended to or even tried to gin up all the self-help I can to make it happen, unfortunately, I've often done it out of a mixed motive. Our hearts have mixed motives. I want to be seen as a good person. I want to be seen as an attractive, good person. I want to have that influence. I want to have that good feeling come back to me because I want to know that I'm somebody. But honestly, there's a chasm between me and the living holy God. So Peter yells out, take cover. And he was right to. But here is the great miracle of the transfiguration, folks. What happened when God came down previously? The earth shakes, the fire comes down, the voice booms, and people can't get near to the mountain or touch it lest they die. But Peter, James, and John go up and the same thing happens, and guess what? They don't die. What? They have seen the glory of God face to face and they don't die. What is happening? Here's here's a clue to what Jesus has come to do because he's not only the God on the other side of the chasm from you and me. He is somehow the bridge over that chasm. And how did he do that? Jesus Christ on that mountain suited up He armed up for what? To come down that mountain and be whipped up another one, this time as the worst of all criminals. He arranged for it to happen in his sovereign will. He chose the cross to bridge the chasm between you and me and a holy God. That's what he came to do. On the cross, Jesus Christ experienced Total darkness, abandonment, terror. Jesus could have yelled out on the cross, a word that I would have put in his mouth, take cover. But there was no cover for him. He, he died exposed, humiliated, shameful. But he did it so that you and I could be welcomed in so the chasm between us and God might be breached, breached and that we might be healed and brought in as his adopted children. He lived the life that we should live but don't. Because I don't know about you, but my heart, the well has already been poisoned. I don't do it. I can't do it. And my attempts, to are just pretty half-hearted. But he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself perfectly, and He gave that life in your place, and then He died the death on the cross that you and I deserve for our radical self-centeredness, our puffed-up sense of self, our treachery against the God of the universe. He paid the ultimate price. That is why Paul can say in his letter that we read this morning, Paul basically said Folks, this news is so good. What Jesus actually did on the cross for him and you and me is so good. That Paul says, I have a perfect, almost airtight resume of my performance on earth. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I am even to the law blameless. I was raised under the greatest of the Jewish teachers of my day. I am all these things. He said, but I count my resume as nothing compared to Jesus' performance. On my behalf. And I cling to a right relationship with God that doesn't belong to me, but was mercifully given through his death and resurrection on my behalf. Oddly enough, the solution to the terror of taking cover before the living God, you know what the solution is? Oddly enough, take cover but not out of terror. Take cover. Take the righteousness of Jesus Christ as if you were a robe was put on you. And God looked at you and when he saw saw you, he would see Jesus Christ and he looks at you and says, "You are my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you." and I offer you an amnesty in the blood of my son, and I want you to belong in my family. I used to say a lot of times in coming to know Jesus Christ is to, I would say it in these ways, I want you to invite Jesus into your life. But now I'm 64 years old and I've had a lot of experience on the ground. And I know myself a little bit better. And so now I don't say that anymore. I say something like this. My appeal to you is that Jesus offers to accept you into his life through his blood and to give you a right relationship with God that doesn't belong to you, but nevertheless is yours as a free gift of his grace. Now, We've come through the glory of God, the terror of God. All we know to do is take cover, but Paul and Jesus hold out to us the cover that has been given to us through his life, death, and resurrection, and invites you to take it. And once you're you're clothed, the dread and terror of your performance, and if it's good enough, and if it's gonna be good enough, and if, you're just, if you just do enough, you'll be accepted. All that can just fall off because in Jesus Christ you are fully accepted and there is no condemnation for you, past, present, and future. Your life is secure because your life is hidden with Christ in God and Jesus Christ's work is finished. I'll put it this way and then I'm done. John Newton, who wrote a wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, former slave holder and captain of a ship that brought slaves, African slaves over here. He turned to God. He confessed his wretchedness, and he was brought in, adopted as a child of God. He wrote many hymns that maybe we haven't sung yet here, but they're wonderful ones. And here's one. Here's a line from one of them. And this is what Christians understand when they come and flee to the foot of the cross. Here's one of the lines. He says, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, once we see his beauty, we're kept apart no more. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and to hear his pardoning voice turns a slave into a child and duty into choice. Folks, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Christian. You get to. You get to. It's all a difference in the world when you know amazing grace. Amen.